Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. Welcome back to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, where theology matters. Of course, that's what the other Mike would say, except for the other Mike isn't here. Um, We are struggling to find a time in our schedules where we can record together. Um, This is a particularly busy time for me. I'm um, coaching football, so this is football season. And, uh, of course, kids just went back to school. Um, Mike is very busy with um, work as well. So we're just trying to find a time we can get together. And uh, so as soon as we do, we will give you that next uh, podcast on the New Covenant. Until that time, I'm going to be recording some solo content. He's going to record some solo content so that we can, you know, keep you engaged. And, um, you know, I I think it's fine to change it up some. And if you have any thoughts on what you might want our next series to be on, because we're about to close out our discussion on the covenants and covenant theology, dispensationalism, you can several ways to get in touch with us. You can find this video on YouTube and leave a comment. That's probably maybe the easiest way. We also have a Facebook page, Mike and Mike Theology Plus. If you search for it, you can find it. You can give that page a like. We don't do a lot of stuff on that page, but you can certainly uh, find us um, there. Um, and I believe Anchor has a way for you to leave comments. So our podcast is actually hosted through Anchor.com. You may be getting it through Overcast or iTunes or Google Play or um, Spotify. Couldn't think of the other one. But um, there's lots of places you can get our podcast. Uh, But Anchor is where we host our podcast. And if that particular ad is still playing because Anchor is the one who decides which ads play, you probably heard me talking about um, Anchor uh, right before this. But I believe there's a way you can leave a comment on the episodes there. But like I said, the, the easiest way is probably to click on the link in the show description, go over to the video cast, and you can watch uh, the video there. Um, so that's an option if you want to see my uh, face for radio and see the slides that I'm working from. Um, the, the YouTube um, video of this is probably the best. So um, I asked our fellow admins in um, the Theology Matters group if they had any requests. And I actually, this is my second take of this podcast because I failed to start the audio recording. So I have the video recording um, and I have the base audio recording that my computer does. Um, but I didn't have the one through the blue Uh, Snowball, I believe is what it's called, microphone. So because I want you to hear that rich, deep, dreamy voice that um, Snowball can deliver, I'm re-recording. But I had asked them what they wanted me to cover, and I had already recorded this, and I went and I saw that Brian had asked that I do something on Galatians. Well, I, I was already doing that, Brian, but... You can imagine that this is um, for you. So um, Galatians, it's a short little book and one of my favorite books. 
And um, it's one of my favorite books because it has one of my favorite verses in it that we'll be covering. And um, why is it my favorite verse? That's a good question. Well, universals um, would be statements about that cover um, big pictures. So when I say universals, you might say apples are red. Well, the word apples doesn't refer to one particular, it refers to all apples. And of course, someone can say, well, you know, some apples are green, so that universal isn't truly universal. Um, you could say triangles have three sides, and now we have triangles um, having three sides. That's a universal, and it's an accurate one, because if it doesn't have three sides, it's not a triangle. So that would be like the universals. And universal statements are statements that cover, you know, broad swaths of things um, versus particulars. Now, you may be asking your question, what in the world does this have to do? It seems like you just launched into the subject. Well, it has to do with Galatians because my favorite verse out of Galatians is, a, in my view, a universal. It is a broad statement that covers all of Christianity, and um, we'll get to it. So I think there are different types of people in the world. I prefer universals. I'd much rather you give me a broad principled rule that you're going to allow me to interpret in different circumstances than 100 particular rules that I got to try to remember and apply. Just give me the broad rule. So I much rather have love your neighbor as yourself than all the commandments that might fall out of that because in any situation I can ask myself what does loving my neighbor look like in this situation and then I apply it what does loving my labor neighbor look like in this situation so you'll find a lot of particular details about Christianity in the Bible but I think there is one verse that really sums up what Christianity is is my favorite verse um, so what does this picture have to do with this discussion well this is the school of, of Athens so back in Greece, there was the um, Greek philosophers. They um, had different ideas. Uh, they're kind of the first true, um, what I would say, systematic philosopher would be Socrates. And there were the pre-Socratic philosophers. So there, there were some philosophers before him. But <clears throat> Socrates is really seen as the, the father of philosophy, although Thales is probably the guy who gets the name for the first ever philosopher because he's trying, they're trying to uh, figure out different things. Largely, what does it mean to change? What's everything made of? And what is life? Those three questions. Um, so if you look in, I believe it's Acts 17, when Paul's in Athens and he addresses the philosophers on Mars Hill, he answers those three questions. What is, what, what is movement? What is life? And, and what are we all made of? But I digress. <clears throat> so this is a picture of the School of Athens. This is would be after Socrates' time because we have two folks here. This is Plato and this is Aristotle. Uh, Socrates taught Plato. Plato taught Aristotle. We don't actually have any writings from Socrates. Socrates thought that... You could never really capture the essence of what was being taught in writing that would always be misunderstood. So what we know about Socrates, we know from Plato's writings. 
so we have to kind of see which one so we had to kind of figure it out what is socrates view versus plato's view um and then of course plato taught aristotle which is who, who this guy is in the blue and his hands going down so i just write these here to kind of contrast the two different types of folks plato if you know anything about platonism he believed that there were these forms in the heavens that there was the form the perfect form of triangularity that was the universal that all particulars would would subscribe to and um aristotle didn't believe that he thought the forms didn't actually have existence other than in the mind of the knower and that the mind of the knower after he or she observes triangle after triangle after triangle they can abstract from those triangles what triangularity is or after they have encountered several horses they could abstract from all the particular horses what does it mean to be a horse what is horseness about <clears throat> and so <clears throat> you see plato pointing up saying we know the particulars via the universals and aristotle is saying no we know the universals from the particulars we we look at the particulars and then we can abstract um the universals i happen to very much agree with aristotle here um and but that doesn't mean i don't like the universal statements um, in the bible all right so you might ask what is the greatest commandment hopefully you would know um deuteronomy 4 6 gives us it's the great shema hero israel the lord your god is one you shall love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength i think that's the new testament version of that because i added um, one of those in there but you can look it up i'm quoting that from memory um, leviticus 1918 uh, we also get um, that plus added on um, you shall love your neighbor as yourself some have asked what is the greatest verse in the bible john 316 often gets mentioned genesis 1 1 perhaps maybe john 1 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory glory as of the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth and i'm if you see me looking to the side i've got my notes over here so that's why i'm looking over here um so what is the greatest treatise on the christian faith what faith which verse talks about christianity in the biggest swath i know one of the elders at our church has a different verse and i don't actually remember what it was but he's told me before but i think galatians 5 6 is that verse and it's my favorite verse and it's a slightly awkward verse because it talks about circumcision um, which could be an, an awkward subject but obviously you know when we talk about circumcision with related to the bible it's just a picture of the mosaic covenant um, even though it was a sign of the Abrahamic covenant, it's a picture of the Jews and the things that they did as Jews. And so this was a huge dividing line for Jews between them and the Gentiles. Hey, we're circumcised. You're not. You can't even begin to keep the law if you're not going to take the first step and, and be circumcised. And so um, Paul is going to, through the book of Galatians, um, really go to bat with these judaizers folks who've come in to uh the christians in um, derby and lystra and iconium and told them you know in order for you to be saved to be truly justified before god you've got to 
be circumcised and you got to keep the law. Of course, Paul's going to say, if I or an angel or anyone else comes and gives you a different gospel than what we gave you at the beginning, he, that person is to be accursed because there's, the gospel is not going to change. And when you add something to the gospel, you've actually subtracted because you no longer have the gospel anymore. So we can't add works to faith because as soon as it becomes work-based, it's no longer faith-based. Um, so that's kind of the big theme of uh, the book of Galatians. All right, and I've already mentioned it several times, but the author of the book was Paul. We don't have an actual picture of Paul, but there's several out there. I happen to like this picture of Paul. Uh, it, he just looks like a very intelligent uh, guy, a very handsome guy to me in this picture. A guy that you could go up and ask for advice or a guy that, you know, just just one of those great guys um, that, that, that you'd want to be around. Uh, I think this really captures the essence of of who Paul, um, was. Um, so you know that, uh, Paul used to be known as Saul and, uh, the lots of times you'll hear people say, well, Paul changed his name from Saul when he was saved on the road to Damascus. Of course, if you read, uh, Acts, you'll find that's not true. Uh, he changed his name once he became a missionary to uh, the Gentiles, which makes sense. If I were to um, go be a missionary to some Spanish-speaking folks, I would probably go by Miguel there because that's what my name is uh, in Spanish. So Paul and Saul, probably similar names. One was um, Jewish in origins. One was um, Gentile in origins. And so he just changed his name to Paul. Uh, when he's dealing with um, the Gentiles. Um, anything else I want to say about Paul? Uh, let's see. Actually, I have my... Yeah, there's lots more I want to say about Paul. And I was looking... I had my notes in the wrong order. All right, so Paul's from the tribe of Benjamin. Any Anyone else you know from the tribe of Benjamin? Other than Benjamin himself? Well, the king... The first king of Israel, Saul, which is who Saul was probably named after. Saul was born in Tarsus and uh, probably born to influential parents because he was a Roman citizen, which is going to play a part in uh, his life when he's captured. We know that uh, he was a Jew's Jew, brought up as a Pharisee, uh, went down to Jerusalem from Tarsus, which was in um, Cecilia, Cilicia. Cilicia. Um, he went down to Jerusalem to study with Gamaliel, who was like the premier uh, rabbi of that time. And uh, of course, he wrongly believes that Jesus was an imposter. And these folks of the so-called the way, um, the sect of Judaism following after Christ were wrong. So he goes and per starts persecuting them, of course, on his way to do that to Damascus. He is struck down, and that encounter um, is converted, and he later becomes a, like the apostle to the Gentiles. So there is some bit of a question as to whom the uh, book was actually written. <clears throat> if you just pull up a, a map of the Gauls, which is where we get um, the, the word Galatia, those people, um, 
you know, they eventually spread over mo- most of Europe, up into the UK, down a little bit into Spain, over across into uh, Turkey, and well, that's not yeah yeah over into Turkey and um, my geography's failing me now, but this would be like Hungary and Romania and. Uh, the northern parts of Italy, Switzerland, those all over. Um, but at, when Paul's writing, they're really confined um, to uh, this place in um, Asia Minor, which would be uh, around um, Turkey. And, of course, the question is from scholars, was Paul referencing the ethnic Galatia or was he referencing the province the Roman province named Galatia there is an overlap in those two but the province is larger than than the ethnicity and because Paul in his other places when he references places on a map he tends to use the Roman province um, that's what I think that's what a lot of folks believe that he's doing here that he's talking about um, churches in the province of Galatia, not necessarily to the Gauls or folks who lived in in, uh, would-be ethnically Galatia. So that would put the range of churches larger, and it would also include churches that we see on this map, like Derby and Iconium and Lystra, which is probably who he's writing to. Um, And here's some pictures of those um, churches. All right, so why did Paul write? Well, we already covered this uh, a little bit. He wrote to correct the um, idea that these uh, Galatians had gotten that they need to start following circumcision laws, dietary laws, and, and Sabbath laws as they pertain to the Mosaic Covenant. And there's some question of what the Judaizers' motivation was. They could have just been convinced they were right. That's possible, and they're wanting to spread that truth. There's also the thought that because Jews had a preferential status with Rome, they were perhaps the only the only that I'm aware of people group that when they get conquered by Rome, Rome allows them to continue their own religion. Everyone else, um, they've got to bow to Caesar and proclaim that Caesar is God. Well, when they pi- try to pull this on the Jews, the Jews bared their neck and they said, go kill us now. Kill us now. We're not going to bow to Caesar. Um, and so thankfully, the Jews have learned something from you know their syncretism under Solomon and, and after him and then their eventual you know captivity into Babylon and they're coming back. They've learned that they're not going to bow the knee to any other God. And because of that, and the Romans give them the special privilege of being able to keep their religion as long as they pay taxes. Because you know what? At the end of the day, that's what Rome was wanting was um, some taxes. And now we have these new Jews, if you can't uh, see, that was me doing scare quotes, who aren't acting like Jews. They are following this new sect called the Way. They're not necessarily circumcising um, their children. They're not following the dietary laws. Um, They're not following maybe all the rules that Jews previously did, but they want to still claim that status. And of course, if you're an old-fashioned Jew at this point, 
you might be concerned that this could potentially upset the apple cart for you and that that by these guys trying to claim your status that it could potentially get the status for all jews taken away so that's another um thought as to the motivation behind the judaizers honestly i don't you know i don't know that we're ever going to know for sure but they were down there kind of um upsetting folks all right so one of the huge um themes in galatians is freedom and of course galatians 5 1 starts out it was for freedom that christ set us free therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery of course paul is talking about the the slavery under the law and of course ishmael is um the son of slavery where isaac is the son of promise and you know curveball here the jews and the jewish system is linked to ishmael that would have that would they really they would have really appreciated that and the new covenant what christ has brought through is linked to isaac so he's really saying jews you're not isaac you're ishmael in this picture and christians those who are in christ are um, represented by isaac the son of faith uh he's the heir I have a note here um, about an ox. I have no idea um, what that note is is about. Um, so we're just going to go on. I'm sure I had some great sermon illustration when I when I gave this before. So there's an ox. An ox is any um, cow that's been taught to be able to pull um, a wagon or be ridden on. So any cattle, I guess I could say, because a cow technically is a female cattle and a bull is a male cattle. But man, I probably had some good, um, some good note on a cow. I'm looking here at my notes. I don't even see it. So (laughs) I don't know what I wanted to say about a cow in the past. That's funny to me. Um, So oil and water, I do not want to say here, just like oil and water don't mix, grace and works don't mix. Uh, in Romans, Paul says, as soon as it's due you, it's no longer a gift, so it's not grace. And if it's a gift, you can't work for it. It's like oil and water. They don't mix. And uh, so the second verse says, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. If you're doing something for salvation, it cannot be by grace. And this is a verse I was referencing, Romans eleven six. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Of course, we go on to read verse 4, that really what Paul is talking about is not circumcision like you might have in America today, where there's a lot of, you know, they're doing it for cleanliness or for health reasons. It's to be justified. So if these guys are being, uh, being circumcised with the idea that through this they can have a right standing with God, they're totally off and they're going to take on that yoke of slavery under the law because 
if you're going to be, if you're going to keep the law for your salvation, then you got to keep all the law and hint, hint, they've already broken the law. So that's not even possible at this point. All right. Um, so this, here you go. You have been severed from Christ because you're not finding your salvation in the work of Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law because you're getting circumcised or trying to keep those dietary laws. You have fallen from grace to the law, back to the law. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. If you have put your faith in Christ, by faith, through the Spirit, our hope is in His righteousness, not in our righteousness. All right, and... Uh, Be ye therefore perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard. That's the righteousness. Uh, and I'm assuming, yeah, I, I said that looking at Matthew 5.20, but actually I haven't looked it up. I should probably look this up. Let's just look that up. Because what I think that verse actually is, is where Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceed that, of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Which would have been a remarkable statement for the Jews hearing him because the scribe and the Pharisees, wow, how do you, how do you exceed that? Um, yeah, for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus raised a huge standard, and Paul is going to raise a huge standard. If you're going to try to return to the law to earn your salvation, then you're going to have to keep all the law, and that's more than what the scribes and Pharisees did. Here's the good news. We know that entrance into the kingdom, actual entrances, can only be accomplished by faith. That's what we see in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by faith you've been saved through faith, and that of, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus beforehand for good works, so that we would walk through them. Romans 8, 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That means that faith is our entrance. So here's the here's the verse. Here's my favorite verse. Because Paul is going to say, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. It doesn't matter if you are a Jew or not a Jew. And we could turn to Colossians 3. Let's do that. Since I've got the Bible open here. Because in Colossians 3, he's in, there's another uh, place in uh, Ephesians. He gives a similar type of list. Um, but Colossians 3. He says, do not lie to one another. This is verse 9. Since you lay aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image 
of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. And if we turn back to Ephesians, we'd find one that even mentions, you know, man and woman. Um, There's no difference. So while there are certainly differences across the body, body of Christ, we have a unity in Christ, even though we're diverse. But none of those things that make us different in the body of Christ are the things that allowed us to be in the body of Christ to begin with. Our entrance into the body of Christ is not dependent on those things. And when we get reconciled to Christ, those things, while they are still important, I think, for our earthly ministry, because, um, <clears throat> you know, just like we're talking about spiritual gifts, we all have different gifts, and God's going to use us in different ways. And how he might use one type of person is going to be different than how he might use another type of person. We may get used in different ways, but our worth is equal in Christ. That's how we get reconciled. And so I think this is great because so many religions have these discriminators with them. Certain things you have to go through certain and and the door is wide open. Any, you know, tribe or nation or tongue, male, female, it doesn't matter. The entrance into Christ is the same. And that's our first word, faith. I already read to you some verses about faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 through 10. Um, <clears throat> and once we have that faith, there's no condemnation for us, Romans 8, 1. Um, I can actually put faith up here. And this faith is not just a intellectual knowledge of, but it's a trust in type of faith. And uh, the you know the best example is airplanes. When you get on an airplane, even though you may have a few doubts, you've put all of your faith in the airplane and that pilot that it's going to get you safely safely there. That's the type of faith that um, Christ is looking for for our repentance. So, um, just got a text, so I was making sure everything's fine. So um, there's the faith. There's the working. Once we're in, we don't work to get into the body of Christ, but once we're in the body of Christ, then we're expected to work. And it may seem that's kind of opposite of, I think, how most religions view stuff. We're, most religions, you're working to be accepted, to be atoned, to be atoned. And that's not the case for Christianity. You don't work for your atonement. But once you're in Christianity, you're working to do good things. And, of course, James would say, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may say, well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. 
Romans 12.1, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So Paul and James are reconciled on this, that we are to be living sacrifices. It's often said that the, you know, the bad thing about a living sacrifice is it can get down from the altar, but we are to stay as living sacrifices and working for uh, the kingdom of God. Of course, we primarily do that through our spiritual gifts and how God has gifted us. And then the last thing is the motivation for all of this. Um, the motivation for our working is out of love. So we enter into the um, faith. We enter into Christ through faith. And then we are expected to work. And that work is motivated primarily out of love. And of course, we can think of, you know, the opening to 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me, profits me nothing. Our working, if it's just for her own self-aggrandizement, it's nothing. But when we work in the kingdom of God, serving others, serving God, and that motivation is love, then that is something. All right, so that's my favorite verse because I think it is such a clear... Actually, let me go back to that verse. It's such a clear, overarching picture of what the Christian walk is supposed to be faith, working through love, and it's all types of people. It's Jews, it's Gentiles, it's Americans, it's Israelis, it's, you know, Africans, Asians, it's all around the world. South Americans, it's it's everyone. All right, so I said one of the major themes is freedom. What's freedom's purpose? You were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor yourself. And of course, how do we get freed up to do this? Oftentimes it is through discipline. Hebrews 12, 11 says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of of righteousness. So this is kind of a paradox of not only the Christian life, but of all activities that are really worth doing. If you want to do something good, you want to do a, an activity that's really um, worth doing, then it's going to take some discipline. So any liberty that we want is probably going to take discipline. This is Charles Dahlenbach. He is a tuba player extraordinaire. He can play anything you want on tuba. He's a member of the Canadian Brass. How he got to have the freedom, the liberty to play anything he wanted was through discipline. He had to practice a lot. This is Usain Bolt. I don't know if he's still the record holder for the 100 meter dash, but at one point in time he was. He is free to run that fast. I'm not free to run that fast. 
Part of it's genetic, sure, but th- there's a whole lot of work and discipline that go into his being able to um, run that. And of course, the the uh, Bible talks about the ant. This is a fire ant. Um, this is a painful picture for me because I got stung about a week ago by a fire ant. Not nice. But ants are free. They have the liberty to eat food in the winter because they discipline themselves to gather that food in the summer. And so that's the paradox that the freedom that that Christ wants us to have to live by the nature that he is building into us comes through discipline, through trials. Um, Jesus, uh, Jesus, Jeremiah wrote in 31, 31 and following that's kind of the, the the key place of the new covenant where in the Old Testament, God says, I'm going to have a people that are going to be my people and I'm going to write my laws on their heart. And this is the process by which we're freed up to do the things that we want according to the spirit is that God's writing his laws on our heart. He's changing our very nature. He's making us into new people. We're Upon salvation, we are freed from sin's punishment. But through sanctification, we're freed through sin's power. And of course, in glorification, we'll be freed from sin's presence. And so during this walk, as we are freed from sin's power, our nature is changed so that we say the same thing about sin that God says, homo logos. We confess our sin and then we turn from it and our nature gets changed so that we don't, we don't want that sin. So kind of a more of a pastoral podcast but i would ask are you in bondage or are you a true heir um it's nothing of us it's all of him how's your walk are you increasing in your faith that's working in love and hopefully this is a motivation for those of you who are believers to increase your work and have it be motivated by love and those of you who maybe listen to this who aren't believers know that it's the entrance into the kingdom to be reconciled is through Christ. Um, and of course, if that doesn't happen, if Christ doesn't bear the guilt of your sins, then then you'll bear your guilt of the sins. And um, that means that you're going to be punished for those. And um, that's not a, not a good place to be. So hopefully this has been helpful to you. We'll just sign off here. Um, and I want you to think well, walk humbly, love mercy, and do justice. Thanks. You've been listening to Mike and Mike Theology Plus the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology.